back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. In short, I have invited a couple of very special women who are now going to be part of today's Wise Woman Roundtable. We're going to be taking a look at some subjects that uh, we tend to shy away from in our lives, yet we all know fundamentally how important, vital, interestingly, they are. And that is the subject of living and the subject of dying. What is the relationship between the two of these? And how can we come to a greater, broader, deeper understanding of what dying is, this thing we call death, phenomenon, biological, spiritual, just what does it consist of? Well, we have two people who are interestingly qualified for speaking about it in their own ways, and uh, we'll be getting to that in just a moment. But I just want to lay out the overall notion that to deal with these subjects can only empower us more thoroughly in life, and that's what we have found in speaking with people about the subject of death, I know. I certainly have come across this in my own practice as a psychotherapist and counselor over the course of many years. And even though it seems taboo in so many ways, a subject to avoid in reality when we actually dig in, which we'll be doing today, people really benefit. They feel a kind of a lifting up and out, a liberation of sorts that they are dealing with something that has been shrouded in fear and anxiety and tension and stress. And uh, this becomes a chance to really deal with it head on and uh, find out what might be actually very interesting characteristics or aspects of the entire life-death process that is for us all. We all participate No one, as far as I know, has yet been excluded, although we do have some stories, and we might get to some of those as well. And uh, so, therefore, it does ring with some resonance for all of us. So with that said, as the basis of today's roundtable, I want to just introduce and give you a, a brief bio of our two guests today. Jane Hughes Genu is a native New Yorker, is the author of An Insistence on Life, Releasing Fear of Death to Fully Live, and her first book, Some Folks Say, Stories of the Death of Life, Death, and Beyond, which is a collection of stories and poems from cultures around the world and throughout time, with a commentary and original color illustrations. Also, we're joined by Reverend Joyce Lichtenstein, Ph.D., Associate Director and Seminary Chaplain, as well as on the faculty of the One Spirit Seminary here in New York City. She has served at this interfaith seminary for some uh, 20 years and has been involved for that length of time in interfaith education. She has a private counseling practice and supervision practice as well. Over 40 years as a minister, counselor, meditation teacher, and director of religious education. Joyce also holds a master's in religious education from New York Theological Seminary, received her PhD in therapeutic counseling, and is a diplomate of the American Psychotherapy Association, as well as a licensed, is a licensed mental health counselor in New York State. She is also uh, serving as a chaplain for disaster chaplaincy services in New York City. So I want to welcome you both, Jane and Joyce, to A Better World and to this roundtable. It's a pleasure to have you both. Thank you. So, Yeah, thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here. I'm so glad. You know, this is going to be, even though we'll be talking about subjects of death, We'll be doing it with a lot of vitality. That's what I'd expect from all of us today, as I have the great pleasure of knowing you both for many decades, actually. So um, irony abounds, right? Irony will always abound. Um, If I could start 
Jane, with you, uh, you have okay. such an interesting background in respect to the subject, uh, having been the um, facilitator of death cafes, uh, having been trained as a celebrant. First of all, would you just start giving us an idea of what is a death cafe? Well, that's a, a, a sort of a newer um, occupation or, or role that I've taken up in the last few years. A death cafe is a conversation. People come together. Uh, it was started in Switzerland by a therapist who found that he discovered that so many of his patients were were terrified of death. They couldn't use the word. They were just uh, they were really walking around it and tiptoeing around it and so forth. And he thought, well, that, what's this about? And so he brought together some people who would just talk about death. And um, well, once they they he created an environment that was welcoming to the conversation that nobody was trying to get away from it or or uh, deny it. He found that all kinds of things came out. So uh, that that uh, developed and it moved across uh, Europe into in, into Great Britain, and there was a website that got started there in London and so forth. And and so yeah. I heard about it a few years ago, and. And I just, I've been working with death for years, giving workshops and all kinds of things and after my two books. And, and um, so I just started, uh, looked into it and saw what was involved and started, you know, sent out an invitation and invited people to come. And I got mm-hmm. listed on the death, death Cafe website and that's, uh, you know, and it's, I think I'm listed in some other websites. But anyway, it's a conversation I hold here in my living room uh, once a month. I did hold another death cafe in a church downtown for a while, but it wasn't. There weren't as many people that were attending, and it, because I wasn't part of the church activity, I think, and so I, I, you know, it seemed like an outside thing. Anyway, it's continued here in my living room once a month, and people come. Um, sometimes people come for a few months, and then they drop away, and then they might come back again later, or or mm-hmm. people sometimes just come once or twice. And um, it varies, but they're they're all ages, and they come for different reasons. Some of them have been through death themselves and a family or friend lately, and they feel awkward and they want to be able to open up and talk. And uh, so there are all sorts of reasons that people come to a death cafe, but I offer them cups of tea and a few cookies and a little bit of fruit, and just to be yes. feel relaxed. I read a story, one of the one of the short folk tales from my first book. Some folks say, which is, a, you know, it's a way to relax. People love to be read stories, and and uh, yes. and again, the whole idea. Do you build is a campfire also? Yeah, well, I don't. I light a candle, but I don't do a campfire. Uh, and uh, but anyway, we we just sit down and have a conversation. And basically, it's, I don't do much talking. Um, once the thing gets going, people speak what they about what they want to and how they might be feeling on a certain subject or how something that might have happened. They might have a story to tell us um, about death or you know a friend's death or a family member. Um, they might have a question. Not that I'm going to answer that question necessarily, but the question gets opened up, and other people can speak to that question or not. Right. You're facilitating (laughs) the conversation. Yeah. Every every session, every month is different um, in the sense of what actually happens there specifically. It's different. But, you know, what I notice is by the end of the um, couple of hours that we're together – um, people leave feeling lighter. There's a sense of, of release and openness, and people feel better. There's just a sense of having having unburdened themselves a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, and that's a lovely uh, kind of a feeling to to, to have created and see. Um, so I, I, as I say, some people come back um, many, many, many times. Other people just come once or twice. It it, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is they need and are looking for, we try to provide. Um, and uh, so death cafes are, um, and, and there are several of them that ha- take place here in New York City. I've been to some others that people have, have hosted and enjoyed them. Some happen in in, um, in cafes, in public spaces. Others happen in, in you know, places like a library or a meeting house or even in a church um, setting, whatever, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It's just a safe place to have a conversation. Well, from that point of view, Jane, I would say that right here on A Better World Radio, 
we're having a death cafe type of conversation. But sorry, right. without the tea and cookies or coffee. My apologies <laughs> to all. <laughs> but, right. Right. But no, I, I appreciate that, and I'm so glad. So my introduction when I made reference to the idea of feeling relief and release and uh, even a little liberated from carrying around uh, what is oftentimes a burdensome kind of energy field around the idea of loss, of grieving, of disappearing, any number of different uh, conscious and subconscious associations we have with that maybe life became is really meaningless at base because, after all, we just go back to ashes to ashes. You know, I mean, there are all of these myths and notions and thoughts that we all carry around in one way or another in our bodies. That's what it sounds mm-hmm. like you have found to be true. Yeah, well, people have all kinds of different um, experiences, of course, of life and death and from their own experience and what they've read, what they know. Um, my mother died when I was four years old, so I had a pretty intense um, early exposure to death. Uh, but I didn't know what it was really, and I didn't get sure. much help at the time. And um, and so, but I've been carrying that around, of course, all my life, and and had to sure. work through that. Uh, so, it, and maybe that was the motivation ultimately, uh, going back to to that time. But um, you know, everybody has their own different experience uh, of death. Whatever they may not have personally. Um, uh, you know, been involved and had a family member or anybody close to them die, but but certainly they see it not happening, and it isn't just, you know, we have pets that die, and we and we grieve over those pets, or or other forms, you know, people, everything on planet Earth has its time here, and uh, and then its time is over, and its life energy leaves, and so we call that dying. Um, and and uh, and so we don't always connect that to human death, but you know the yeah. the ancient oak tree uh, that we've always known. Um, one day, lightning strikes or something, and whatever it is, it happens, and that tree is no longer there. So right. that and, and then there's other lives that are very very short of of uh, other kinds of life. So. Um, Death is always around us, just as birth is always. It's part. They, they, you can't disconnect them. They're, if you agree to come in, you agree to go out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. that's how I see it. it it's part that's of right. the, it's part of the same thing. It's one process. You know, I believe it was Eckhart Tolle, or certainly I've heard this attributed to him, that um, death is not the opposite of life, but death is the opposite of birth. So that just corroborates <laughs> that point, Jane. You know, right. you agree to right. come in through a portal and you go out yeah. through yeah. another, you yeah. know. Yeah. Joyce, I'd yeah, love so to maybe bring it's you the into... Same, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting okay. to really view that way. Joyce, I'd love to engage you. What Your thoughts when you hear, just for instance, uh, Jane speaking and um, this idea of what I just quoted of uh, what I believe is uh, Eckhart Tolle's words of life not being the opposite of death, but death being the opposite, actually, of birth. Well, I was delighted to hear Jane speak about her work. I haven't gotten to a death cafe yet, but I would like to do that. Um, For me, of course, like everybody else on the planet, I've experienced a lot of losses, Uh, certainly my parents, but probably the death of at least 14 pets. And um, so we're all given plenty of opportunities to, you know, to be involved in a grieving process and to think about, you know, what what death might what mean uh, to us. For me, <clears throat> I was introduced uh, very early on uh, to the idea of um, life after death and the fact that there is no death, um, only continued life. My Aunt Betty really? was president of the Theosophical Society in Patterson, and you may know that theosophy um, certainly indicates that um, there is life after life and, you know, posits, uh reincarnation, yeah. as do many of the world's religions indicate in their scriptures. Um, so she gave me a book called Elementary Theosophy by Rogers, 
um, which I read when I was 16. And the other book she gave me, which changed my life, both of them at the same time, was uh, Edgar, a book about Edgar Cayce, the, mm-hmm. the trans state medium who was able to heal people by going into their past lives and talking about what happened and what might be creating uh, a negative or difficult experience for them in this lifetime. And that book was by Dr. Gina Chermanara, and it's called Many Mansions. And there's, those books are still available online. So um, I was really grateful um, for those things because it sort of woke me up very early to the notion that this is not all there is, um, that there is a new adventure, something really quite wonderful going to happen after this. Although in in terms of some of the literature I've read, people do have um, different experiences of what happens when they cross over on the other side, most of them very positive, a few of them a little shadowy, but even that changes. so um, um, I've had a fair what amount do you mean of experience. shadowy. Shadowy in that they may find themselves uh, based on maybe some um, unfortunate things that they did in this lifetime in a, in a rather dark place. Um, mm. The one of the books that deals with that is a book called Testimony of Light by Helen Greaves. Um, Helen was an author living in England, and um, one of her friends was an Anglican nun who was serving in Africa. And the nun died, and about two weeks after the nun died, Helen, who was sitting in her living room, suddenly got all this information coming through, and she realized it was the nun speaking about her experience on the other side. And the book is is very joyful, very loving. She does talk about the fact that uh, she mentions a young man who was a Nazi and who had been involved with, you know, a, a lot of dark things, and he was in a dark place. But what she said, and I really believe that this is true because I think it's God's nature to be unconditionally loving and that we'll be growing the whole time, that angels were sent into him every single day um, to help him, you know, get a sense of what he had done and make reparations for it in some way and to move on to the light. And in her book, nobody stays in a shadowy place. Um, so that's what I mean about that. And it's it's a I lovely see. book. Um, it's, it's I was a very wondering if you were up. Uh, indicating or implying the the notion of karma that you know of course when we live a certain kind of life let's see uh, based in integrity and well-being and good intent for others that that would bring us to a certain kind of a energetic dimensional field mm-hmm. when we drop the body and right. perhaps <laughs> conversely something more uh, a rough ride if that isn't the case. Yeah. From everything I've read, what you said is true. I mean, that's what, I mean, all the people who write about this experience, you know, do say that based on the things that you've done, you may find yourself energetically with one group or another, uh, a quote-unquote lower level, higher level, but that, but mm-hmm. nobody stays there. I mean, that's the good news of most of what everybody writes is that, that there's always growth and development. God is love, and so God sends us angels in the form of people or animals or whatever to help us move yeah. to uh, new understandings and new ways of living our life in a more uh, positive, joyful way and helpful way to, to people. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you, Joyce. I really appreciate that sharing. I want to kind of uh, bring another uh, aspect of the subject to light and hear what you both have to say. And, uh, you know, feel free to jump in at any time. You don't have to be invited by me. You've already been invited by me. And I'm very <laughs> glad to have yeah. both of you here. I've known you both for decades in each case, and it's really a pleasure to be able to chat with you about something that I know is very meaningful to us all. Uh, I was just taking some notes prior to the uh beginning of our radio show today, and I was realizing that, uh, you know, there's been this pretty serious explosion, a proliferation, if you will, of of interest in the subject of death and dying over the past number of years, um, you know, and uh, that this has been something that's been going on for a while. It's It's not new. We can go back to the ancient Egyptians, for instance, whose mortuary texts and all, so much of their civilization actually had a focus on death. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really interesting 
point to just kind of bring forward, and we do have something called the Egyptian Book of the Dead from that. Uh, then we can look at um, uh, Tibet, Tibetan Buddhism. Right, the Tibetan which Book has of the Dead. Yeah. The Tibetan yeah. Book of the Dead, exactly. And, Living and dying. Uh, yeah. The idea, uh, exactly, the Book of Living and Dying, and our good friend Andrew Arvey was one of the right. anthologists there, and right. uh, who's been on this show uh, many times, actually. And we remember that there's this notion uh, from the Tibetan perspective of the development of a rainbow body, which happens through living again a certain kind of life, mindful of death, and mindful of the interdimensionality, if you will, between the two. Then there becomes a whole other wave of um, interest in the work of Dr. Raymond Moody, Life After Life, uh, were a phrase you mentioned Mm -hmm. before, Joyce. (laughs) And then, you know, more recently, you know, who am I trying to remember now? Who uh, The Swiss, actually, the Swiss psychiatrist who I've met. I uh, met her on my birthday many moons ago, who also helped to break open the subject so much. Um, someone, uh, you're talking about um, Consciousness Beyond Life? Um, his name, mm, one of the books of Prim no. uh, Van Lummel, Science and no. Near-Death Experience. Oh, okay. No, you both know. I, that, I mean, that also... Very interesting, but I'm talking about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. That's what I was going for, and she okay. too is instrumental in bringing the subject from the shadows into the foreground. And mm-hmm. much more recently, we've had the now well-known neurosurgeon, Dr. Eben Alexander, in his right. Proof of Heaven of his own personal experience, that of Anita Morjani in her book, Dying to Be Me, uh, right. Dr. Julian, Julia Asante, who I interviewed for Better World TV. Fewer mm-hmm. people know about her, but her work is just seminal. Last mm-hmm. Frontier, exploring the afterlife and transforming mm-hmm. our fear of death. And someone who I, I just adore this book, Annie Kagan's The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, which brings oh, yeah, a yeah, yeah. kind of a New York Jewish humor to the subject. <laughs> which, <laughs> by the way, before we go on, I have to quote one of my favorite lines of Woody Allen's. I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality through not dying. The book on Billy Fingers um, is, is such a delightful book, and the reason that is really so wonderful is that uh, Billy, her, this is a woman whose brother died, and she actually still lives on Long Island, the, the author of the book. And yes. uh, Billy was an alcoholic, a drug addict, a smoker, I mean, everything that you wouldn't want to do and have in your life he was, and apparently just made a lot of serious mistakes. But the thing about the book that is so glorious is when he's speaking up from the other side, he talks about rainbows and music and joy and, you know, it's Angel. just like no judgment, yeah. no condemnation. He just had an incredibly beautiful, loving experience. So I would say to everybody, get, get, the, get the book Billy Fingers because it's just a very joyful book. Yeah, Absolutely. Good. I mm. agree completely. Jane, I've, and I've had Annie on to discuss it some time ago when it first came out. I mm-hmm. wholly agree with that. Jane, your thoughts as you yeah. hear all of this. Say that again, though. I said your thoughts. What what is coming up as you as you hear these details? Thinking all these details. Well, I think that um, you know there there is so much fear and so much um, uh, denial and so forth uh, about death, and it's all. uh, I got into this when I um, uh, a friend told me that there were this is early ages of early days of the AIDS crisis and she called me up one day she would just she said I found them I found them I said what are you talking about she'd been working with people with AIDS and in the days when nobody knew what caused it or how it spread or how to help it or anything and so there was huge fear 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 everywhere and so she said I found them it's the babies they're up in Harlem Hospital and um, so the minute she said that there was a Piece, something within me said, oh, nobody should be abandoned. And, of course, that was coming from my experience, of four-year-old experience of having sure. my mother die. And, and that was, of course, an experience of abandonment. And uh, yeah. so I just took myself up to Harlem and got 
um, qualified to be a volunteer, and I started going up there a couple of times a week, couple two, three times a week, to hang out with these babies and kids. They weren't just babies; some of them were teenagers, even. And some of them really also their mothers had died, so there was no way for them. They had no family involvement. The family were terrified to 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 try and take care of them and so forth. It was a very hard time. But what I noticed was now newborns, of course, have no understanding of death in the sense of that they have they're just busy, you know, living day to day moment to moment but even older children they they had no fear of death Mm -hmm. they were just living if they felt badly that you felt you got that but i mean if they didn't feel well or you know things weren't going well but the point was death wasn't part of that that fear or, Mm -hmm. or that upset and so i began to think well why are we so afraid of death and then i did some research and so forth and i just got discovered you know, indigenous peoples don't have fear of death. They live with it. it. They live in a world where all life lives and dies all the time. So they they're very connected to the to that reality, and they celebrate. In fact, in the sense of honoring death is very important a uh, part of a transition that for people. And so, I you know, I was talking about this to the psychologist there who they'd hired for the to help families to deal with the the AIDS crisis in their uh, situations. And so um, because he wanted to, he had a kid that was a teenager in the ICU and he wanted to take him something to read. But then he couldn't find anything appropriate to read to a teenager about death. You know, there's a lot of intellectual stuff, but nothing that, you know, a teenager would be interested in. So he just said, someday I'm going to write a book and it's going to be stories about what happens when you die. And as he said that, something just, popped into my head and I was on fire and I said, oh, Michael, I want to help you with that. It just, I had no pre-notion of this at all. It didn't, it came totally unexpected to me. But anyway, we agreed to work together. I started going to library, research libraries here in New York City and, and talking to people who were anthropologists and had, a, you know, knew about different cultures and so forth and different um, uh, ways of thinking, ways of knowing. And, um, and, and I continued, and I was just sort of on fire with this with this um, whole notion of of looking into more deeply into the whole sub- subject of death and how different people throughout time have have uh, approached it. And um, my colleague there, he really wanted to write another book, so he sort of dropped out of this project after a while. And, but I continued, and and that's really what led to the publishing of some folks say. Yeah, I put. I took a couple of years really doing research, and and people, the librarians, of course, love people who are doing research because I would come <laughs> into the one of the one of the libraries at the Metropolitan Museum, one of the research libraries there, and I'd come in some days, and somebody would one of the librarians would say, "Oh, I have something. I think you might be interested." You know, they had in there. Yeah work, they had come across something, a culture that had a new approach to death or whatever, a different story. And and the, so that's, they. Ha, I had a lot of help, <laughs> a lot of support yeah. and um, from different people. and uh, No so doubt from really, the other side as well. Yep, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Mm-hmm. I, I take, take anything no matter where it comes from. But the point <laughs> is that, um, that I realize that this is a learned behavior to be afraid of death. It's not a natural behavior. If you look at people mm-hmm. in cultures that don't have a lot of, um, you know, they're not trying to be manipulated the way yes. so much of our current... That uh, is what such a good point. Yeah, yeah that's and, such a and good I realize that... Point. Well, it is, and the thing is, I yep. realized, of course, if you keep people in fear, they'll do what you say, and yep. you know that's that's kind of what happens in school often. Don't do your homework, you know, you get punished, or you don't do this or that, and it happens in families sometimes, and not and on a mild basis, but still, it's that thing of you you're under threat to do what you're supposed to do or not do what you're not supposed to do, whatever it is, and fear of yep. death comes into that. Um, and uh, so the more I did research, the more I looked into it, was the more I realized that underneath almost all forms of violence and all forms of terror are is fear of death. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and um, if you go back and dig dig down and you know peel away all the other stuff, and mm-hmm. I realized, oh my God, you know we've been trained and then socialized to be afraid of death, which is actually yes. our birthright. 
Mm-hmm. It Ooh, is, you know, if you so agree to powerful. come in, you agree to go right. out, and and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and the, and that's a that's a terrible thing that we sort of waste this beautiful, beautiful thing we call the, the opportunity to to incarnate and be here and contribute in some way. So, yeah, um, exactly. That's really what mo- has been motivating me ever since. And uh, and people, when they get that, oh my gosh, things change. So, of course, you're going to die, but that's. That's just, you know, that's just like saying, yes, of course the sun's going down at the end of the day and it's coming up again tomorrow. Or at least, <laughs> you know, the day, the light will come and the, day, and the light will go. But, you know, life goes on. So um, it, it really, once people can take a whole different perspective to that, um, it puts them in a different place. They begin to wake up and take action and and get mm-hmm. interested and excited and and see this in terms of whatever their other life interests may be. So anyway, that's that's what part of my story. Yeah, I'd like to Beautiful. share a couple Thank of things you. that came to mind around being frightened Please of this. There, you know, the scriptures, all the world scriptures are full of this. Uh, you know, in terms of indicating that there really yeah. is no no death. But at any rate, uh, it's attributed. To, these two both come out of the New Testament. It's attributed to Jesus, and God only knows whether He really said it or not. But at any rate, in the Gospel of John, uh, the disciples were clearly worried because He was about to leave, and He was telling them He was going. And so you read in chapter fourteen, "Do not be worried and upset." Jesus told them. Believe in God and believe also in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. And there's another section where... I love that. I love that quote. So beautiful. Mm. And there's another one where he's talking about... um, yeah, again, the, the notion that there is no death. He's talking about here about Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and he talks to the disciples and said, there will be many coming from the east and the west to sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or in another translation it says, I predict that many will come from east and west and dine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven's domain. So again, there are so many... Um, you know, allusions to all of this. And in the First Testament, you have the book of Daniel, where, again, there's suggestion of no death. Um, there are just many, many places where it shows up in the world scriptures. Um, so I just wanted to share that. But apparently yeah. 2,000 years ago, they, even though they hung out with him for, for three years and saw him do incredible uh, things, he, they were still frightened. And he had to, you know, say, don't be afraid. You know, I'm going to be yeah. with you and I go to prepare a place for you. Or at least we hope he said yeah. that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Let's let everyone know that you are listening to A Better World. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin. We have a website, www.abetterworld.tv, where we have a free weekly newsletter, and we announce who we'll be having on as our guests on both our weekly radio show and our community television show every Monday in Manhattan at 7 p.m. If you're in Manhattan, you can certainly turn on your television and watch it directly, or you can watch it through our website if you're outside Manhattan at the same time at www.abetterworld.tv. So sign up for the newsletter, become part of A Better World's family, and enjoy these kinds of rich conversations about Subjects that, uh, well, uh, this one is inescapable, as Jane keeps reminding us, and I think that's a good thing. You know, it's funny about inescapable. I'll just share with you a little bit about a story of one of my first um, experiences of the idea of death came through uh, conversations with my mother um, around the book uh, by Jean-Paul Sartre, or I should say the... um, the uh, uh, play, No Exit. And, I mean, I was probably all of five years old when she began reading it, and we began reading it as a family. That was our Mm. fun time as a family, (laughs) reading such things as No Exit and her reading out loud to me from Albert Camus, The Stranger, and things like that. Not to mention then we dipped into... uh, absurdist theater like Ionesco and all of that. But um, 
so I was sort of raised, even though born in a New York Jewish family, more existentially thinking about death as a possible, you know, exit and uh, end of life here on earth and end of everything without any notion actually of a soul. And it was mm-hmm. only years later through my own reflection and contemplation um, and then somewhat inner experience that I came to an entirely different world view of death. And to the extent that I became rather elated by the subject because I, I thought it was kind of cool that we kind of took on a whole new dimension. And, um, you know, it wasn't that I was altogether not unafraid. I don't want to give that impression because I'm only human. But I still had a certain kind of um, excitement about the subject. And I remember coming home in high school and sitting down at the family dinner table and said, everybody, tonight, Dad, Mom, I want to talk about death. And my father looked at me like I had, like, a third or eye. And he was right, I did. And uh, hmm. or maybe a second hmm. head. And he said, Mitch, what are you talking about? Why do you want to talk about that? I said, well, it seems pretty obvious to me at this point that, you know, we're all born and we all die. So we, we've already done the born part. Let's now do the death part. I'd love to hear what everybody has to say. Anyway, hmm. so I, I was um, quieted down at that point. But it's actually been a very lively subject, no pun intended, with me ever since. So, uh, I'd like to share something, if it's okay. Um, if, if people who are listening are interested in this kind of conversation, I'd like to invite you to check out the website of One Spirit uh, Learning Alliance and One Spirit Interface Seminary, because we study the major world scriptures, uh, which deal with this subject and all other subjects. We also have, uh, through the Learning Alliance, we have programs dealing with death and dying and life after death and all kinds of other things related to our living. Um, so, again, if you go online, it's uh, One Spirit uh, Learning Alliance um, or One Spirit Interfaith Seminary, um, and I'd love to invite you to, you know, to take a look at that. Uh, the programs are very, very rich, and the people who come to share with us are, are very skillful and uh, really quite wonderful. We actually had a class given uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Dr. Sherry Pearl, who's a friend of mine whose son died five years ago and who's been in correspondence with her and <laughs> attuned with her for, for many, many uh, years now. Um, and the two of them work with somebody by the name of Glenn Dove, who's a, a trans state medium in Baldwin who does a lot of work in terms of life after life and uh, reincarnational experiences. So um, I just wanted to share that. And the other piece that I wanted to share is that my own experience with um, with uh, reincarnation and the, that notion of there is no death but just ongoing life comes through animals. Um, I've had 14 cats. I think I mentioned that before and a, a number of yeah. deaths. And... Uh, a few years ago, um, my cat, Jonathan, who was 19 and a half years old, uh, had heart failure, and um, he died. And uh, this was probably in October, and I was grieving, and um, I began to get messages in my head. Um, I was sitting by my altar, and it said, you know, they're coming back to you, they're coming back to you. And I thought, what in the world are they talking about? But there are a number of books that also talk about animal life in this in this way. But at any rate, so I, I was listening, and it was repeated and repeated, and night after night I was getting the same message. And finally, some weeks later, I got a message that said, go to Baidui on January 4th um, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, wow, um, and by the way, the, uh, they, they said two of them were coming back to me, Kristen, who had died uh, a, few, a couple of years earlier. Um, anyway, so I went to, I, you know, I just said, you know, I'm going to just play this out. I'm going to do this. So on January 4th, oh, be, before January 4th, the week before, I, I was by this time very, very curious and wondering whether this was really going to be, you know, working out to something. So I went up to Bidewee. And, of course, it's wintertime. And I, sa- I said to them, do you have any kittens? And they said to me, uh, we don't have kittens this time of year. So I thought, well, this is interesting because I've been told to come back next week and, you know, find a couple of kittens. So anyway, on January 4th in the morning when I got up, I was given the message, take the poinsettia plant down into the basement. Poinsettia plants are very um, poisonous for cats. 
So I figured, okay, you know, I'm going to do this. We took the poinsettia plants down to the bacon uh, basement, went up to Bideway, got there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, walked in the door, and I said to them, do you have any kittens? And they said, there's six of them in the next room. So I went into the next room, and I sat down, and there were these, you know, adorable kittens. Two of them were honey-colored tabbies, which was what Kristen looked like, so I didn't know which one I was supposed to take. But the first thing that happened after I sat down was a black-and-white tuxedo cat, they named him Simon, came and sat on me for the entire interview, did not leave me. So I knew he was one of the ones that was supposed to come home with me. Um, and then just as I was about to leave and not sure what I was, should be doing about the other cat, one of the um, honey-colored tabbies came over and rubbed his head against the palm of my hand. Now, what was interesting about that is when Kristen had died two years ago, she was on the table and the vet had given her the sleeping injection. She lifted up her head and rubbed her head against my wrist, and that was pretty amazing. So here this cat is coming over to me just as I'm about to leave and rubs her head, his head, against uh, the palm of my hand. And the thing that was interesting about all of this as well is that I had to take them home in a taxi cab. And usually when you do that with cats, they're very, very frightened and they cry and, you know, it's really terrible. Not a peep out of either one of them. I got them to my house. I had to keep them in the boxes while I fixed up the apartment for them. Not a peep, no crying. When I took them out of the box, they, it was as if they had always lived there. Uh, they didn't hide. They didn't run under the couch or jump on top of the refrigerator or under the bed. They stayed with me. And um, the the next thing that happened was the cat that, that I – his name was Taylor when he was up there. They were four months old, so I, I kept their, the names that they were given. So it's um, Jonathan, Simon, and Kristen Taylor. Um, Kristen came into the bedroom and put his head against the teddy bear that had been the teddy bear that belonged to the Christian two years ago. And Jonathan never went near it. And it was it was just some fascinating things that happened when they came here. And I thought, well, you know, maybe they've been here before because it certainly they certainly seemed comfortable. And so that was – I've had other experiences with cats, but this was one that I'll probably never forget. <laughs> Lovely. Remarkable, Lovely. Thanks, Joyce. Joyce. Yeah. Yes, beautiful. Remarkable, and I, this is the way it works, right, Jane? This yes. is uh, yes, the mysterious indeed. ways of That's the right. interface of of living and dying, and and you know, as yeah. you're saying, Joyce, the the reincarnational cycle mm-hmm. that there's yeah. something that goes on, that something has a base of knowledge, a base of understanding, a base <laughs> of uh, I like to say of of emotional maturation of soul life. Mm-hmm. Jane, your thoughts? Yes, indeed. Well, you know, I think there's a lot that we don't know. And and also, what I have come to see or understand, at least in my view, is that people throughout time, as long as we know, have been explaining or experience and sharing spiritual um, reality, spiritual experiences they may have had or spiritual knowledge that they put together, whatever it is. In other words, it's stuff beyond the material. It really comes before the material because the spirit energy starts before any manifestation. But the point is, then, and that's how all religions have started one way or another and, and belief systems. Um, and uh, But they... They're, they express them in different words, in different languages, and as though we were speaking different languages, uh, you know, such as the languages that we experience today, the European languages, the Asian languages, um, uh, and so forth, that are often extremely difficult for others to, to um, learn and to understand, but they're really all saying the same thing. And I got that very clearly the other day when Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut, oh, yeah. died sure. yeah. on the yeah. the fourth of the month, I think. In February. And Edgar yeah. was a yeah, it was a good, that's right last month, and he was a good buddy, and he um, he's three months younger than me, so I always, you know, I, I thought about that and his how, how mm-hmm. different his life has been from mine, but but in other ways not different. But the point is, um, 
when I, I talked to him one time, I said, Edgar, how come you had this amazing experience that led to your founding the Institute of Noetic Sciences and so forth? He said, well, you know, we all have that experience, but it manifested in different ways. Some people um, attached whatever it is they had experienced and, and were either founded a new religion or founded a new, or, or went and, and attached themselves to a new belief system that had already mm-hmm. existed. But the point is, it was deeply, deeply transforming and um, that experience of understanding that everything is interconnected and interrelated which as a scientist he'd never um, been told I mean MIT never told him that or or indicated that but so that's why he you know said we need to we need to use science to just to explore consciousness explore what is and that but that's no different really from the story the, the vision that the, the the work that Jesus did when he was here and the other uh, and the great Jewish tradition and the great um you know Muslim traditions and so on it really is about being connected and one of the things that I think is so extraordinary is that as I thought about that I thought you know this is really all about love you mm-hmm. use whatever word you want or language, but love. If you're connected to someone, you love them in that sense of you. You appreciate them. You cherish them. They ch- there's a there's a mutual understanding. And what I didn't yes. know when I was having that realization that that really was what was at the heart of Edgar's work and and so forth. But what I didn't know when I, until I called up a dear friend of mine down in Florida where he lived and who knew him much better than I did and and knew what he was up to up until the very end. She said, well, you know, the last paper he and his colleague Bob published was about death, or was about everything, life being, consciousness being about love. Mm -hmm. Holy mackerel. I mean, I didn't know that. I had no idea. But she sent me a copy of the paper, and there it was. So he'd already sort of put that out uh, at the end of his life, and and I somehow had picked it up without... You know, I was actually, you know, being aware of it on, on a sort of material yeah. plane, and that yeah. kind of gave me the, the, the shakes in a way. But on the other hand, it was incredibly comforting. Yeah. Incredibly comforting. It's especially because interesting because Edgar Mitchell was a a super intellect. You know, yes. a massively yes. high IQ astrophysicist. Yeah. You know, uh, astronaut yeah. par excellence and scientist. You know. Um, yeah. author of Way of the Explorer. You know, I knew him as well and interviewed him back in the sure. 90s. And, uh, no, I, I very much appreciate what you're saying. And so for someone uh, with his orientation to come back through and cycle back yes. to love, it's like, oh, right. yes, it's just a reaffirmation for all of right. us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's very yes. well, yeah. All the great teachers have talked about the same thing. The Dalai Lama talks about loving kindness, you know, in the Islamic tradition, talks about God being merciful. Um, yeah. In the Christian tradition, St. Paul in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians says, yeah. you know, there are three things now, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And that's all Jesus yeah. ever talked about. Any great right. master teacher who came down here always talked about yeah. loving kindness yeah. and doing service. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's the point. That they, yeah, it's yeah. really all the same. And um, uh, so anyway, there you go. <laughs> Very true. And in fact, you know, when we speak about when we've heard it spoken of that um, that uh, tunnel of white light, yeah. the experience, as we've all been saying here, and Joyce, I know you made specific reference to uh, Annie Kagan's. Uh, you know, troubling brother who right. became known as Billy Fingers. You know, here right. is this guy who, in life, had every judgment possible against himself. But once he was free of a body and he's sort of in pure light and consciousness itself, that judgment and all of that was gone. I love right. the book. And but we hear that one becomes when one is left to one's own um, pure light consciousness. Love is the game, and everything mm-hmm. else that we so cherish in one way or another in life, you know, on a negative side, so to speak, a contracted side, very much dissolves and just mm-hmm. not part of the higher consciousness game at yeah, all. Yeah. 
right? Mm -hmm. In Evan Alexander's book, that's what he talks about as well. He said you can't imagine, and even uh, Kubler-Ross talks about you can't imagine what a loving, incredible feeling that you experience on the other side. You can't even describe it. So almost all of and and Nita Mujani's book as well, just experienced pure, and she thought she had done some bad things, and all she experienced Mm -hmm. was pure love. So yeah. interesting, isn't it? So we find yeah. out that it's we who are doing the judging, right? It's not right. some kind of externalized God, but it's us yeah. ourselves playing right. God with ourselves in some kind of punitive way, you know. It's very <laughs> interesting. I would love, yeah. Jane, I mean, because of your book, some folks say that you so diligently research. could you share in uh, our last minutes a uh, a story from that about this? Oh my gosh! Uh, well, I could. I have to go get a copy of it. I'm not. Or any story you'd like, after all. I mean, you know, yeah, they're not limited to that. Very, they're very short ones. I, I'll hang on one moment. I'll be go right back. Oh to sure. One, okay. Hold on. Absolutely. Yeah. And while Jane is going to do that, Joyce, it's been such a pleasure to hear your your stories and that experience you had of your cats. And I know how you love your cats because I've yep. been there watching you love them up. And so, Well, Kristen uh, is, is lying on me right this minute as we speak. Oh, my. Oh, my. And Jonathan and is quite across from me on the other chair. Your story yeah, and, just symbolizes such interconnectedness between mm-hmm. you and them. It's mm-hmm. utterly beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I've been very blessed. Uh, every, all, okay. all of them have Please. been incredible. All right. Yeah. Here I am. Absolutely. And you know this is Jane, this you're is back. the last. I'm back, right? We've got a, my daughter got upset because I went without my walker. Anyway, this is the last piece in the book, and it's the only piece in the book that I don't comment on at all. And it comes from the Niger Delta in Africa, and it's called "I Dance Despite Death." And here it is: "I Dance Despite Death, Mother. I Dance Despite Death." On my father's side is death. On my mother's side is death. I dance despite death, mother. I dance despite death. Whatever happens, I accept it. Mm. Nice. Nice. Yes. Yes. I a great sense of interesting finality there, too. I feel like that. It sure does. (laughs) But But it's in such a given offered in such a sense of joy and it and is. lightness <laughs> you wonder well it what is. is all fuss about <laughs> you know exactly uh, what is all the fuss about yeah, yeah. when and uh, time, doing, oh. a word has to be if i may just add yeah a word needs to also be said about what is the whole grieving process and what mm. that's all about and uh and how important that is for our own emotional maturation right. as well. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's yeah. just that you have to allow yourself to have it. And however you have it and however long it takes, it needs to be your unique way. And nobody should say to you, aren't you over that yet two weeks after somebody died, right? Um, you know, yeah. you have to get on with your life. All the kinds of things we say to people, which are really ridiculous. We, we have to allow ourselves to grieve. Um, and then, Eventually, you know, things change, and we get to we get to another place. But yeah, absolutely, yes. yeah. Yep. I wanted to share in terms of the death thing. Uh, when Oprah was interviewing Marianne Williamson and asking her what she thought about um, what it was going to be like on the other side, she said, "A great light show." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's it's really, beautiful. Yeah, that's lovely. It's so beautiful. Well, I want to thank you both. It's been such a joy to talk about death with you both. (laughs) (laughs) And um, truly, it's been liberating for me, and I hope our audience as well. You both bring so much richness and perspective Mm -hmm. to the table that anyone, I think, who would to listen to this uh, in future uh, and now uh, can really get uh, a lighter sense of what's possible instead of, oh, my God, that's what's going to happen, you know, Mm -hmm. but rather (laughs) it's part of the journey. That's what I hear you both really, really Mm -hmm. sharing here. A new adventure. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you again, both of you. Well, thank you, Mitchell. 
Yes, thank you for giving us the opportunity to to uh, explore some of the uh, well the aspects of my something that I think is is a very important and full of light and love topic. Yeah, and also I'd like to say that I hope the listeners will feel feel free to contact any one of us. You know, if they have sure. questions or would like to speak to us yeah. in any way, that would be great. Absolutely, and yeah. that, I'm so glad you said that, Joyce. Uh, Jane, do you want to give your contact information in case someone wants to attend yes. one of your death cafes, well, your website, yes, what have my, you? Right. My, my death cafes are on the second Tuesday uh, of each month, 6.30 to 8.30 in the evening, and I'm in New York City. And um, if you set my email, is Jane H. G4 at verizon.net and if you contact me um, let me know you're coming I'll give you my address my exact address on the Upper West Side and um, uh, my uh, website is um, what is my website janehughesgenew.com and uh, that's it so uh, I'd be delighted to talk to anyone individually or as a group or whatever way they uh, prefer yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, I can I can and share my Joyce, information. Okay, I do my my home of the interfaith of the interfaith seminary. Right. Uh, yeah. My home telephone number is two one two six seven three four four two seven six seven three four four two seven. That's two one two. And my website is JoyceLichtenstein dot com. dot com. And you'll get all the uh, contact information. My web uh, my email address is jlichtenstein at webtv.net. You may want to spell that. Both. Of yeah, Lichtenstein is spelled L I E C H E N S T E I N. J Lichtenstein at webtv.net. Yeah. Beautiful. And Jane, I think it would be smart unless people can uh, just pull it from the ethers to spell your last name. Oh, my last name, yes. As you knew, is a really hopeless name to try and try and spell. It's a French, old <laughs> French name. And, um, all right, the, Jane is easy, and Hughes is H-U-G-H-E-S. Uh, that's that's more more well known. But as you knew, is G I G. N O U X. There you go. Ça va bien. Beautiful. That's great. Well, thank you both again. I, I so enjoyed each of your sharings today on this Wise Woman Roundtable. And God knows I picked well. <laughs> so that I'll say. Okay. Thanks again, Mitchell. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you both. My pleasure. Okay. All right. Good night, Good all. Night Good night. Good night. So there we have a beautiful, beautiful women speaking about from their hearts, about their experiences and their knowledge uh, accrued over the course of decades. And I really have had the great pleasure and honor of knowing them both, Jane and Joyce. For many years, we've been involved in different activities, commune, spiritual community in New York City, and uh, things all having to do with uplifting uh, the nature of our lives, of our human spirit, of dignifying them, of interfacing with our earth, our planet, in ways that are uh, good for all. There's always a kind of a bodhisattvic perspective on being of service. And uh, both women, I just are, uh, I've known them and cherished them for a long, long time. And it was a true pleasure to have them on today's roundtable to share these these thoughts with you. I want to share, I didn't want to interrupt the time together as a group, but I, I knew this and I recently had more of a epiphany of it. You know, there are different levels and different ways of knowing. But it became utterly clear to me that uh, while I wholly believe that we carry on in the form of soul, which is another dimension, I really saw this last recent time that we inhabit this denser, more contracted body. It shows up in the physical realm, the 3D realm. And... This notion of death, quote-unquote, 
is rather simply a refining, if you will, of becoming more spacious. In fact, so spacious that the physical body, what we refer to that as, simply sloughs off, um, sort of like a, you know, a, a molting. And we go into the place that we've always been. It's not like we're leaving and going from one place to another. It's where we've always been. It's just in another dimensional realm because we're so spacious and our intelligence is no longer, ha, 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 embodied. And it's free-floating, so to speak. And it's ever-present and it's reconnected. It's never been disconnected. It just had the experience of being disconnected because of the density uh, and the sensory experience that is limiting most of our experience in a body, uh, defining our terms, if you will, our parameters, our experience, our paradigm. And it's only when we kind of squeeze through the cracks beyond our sensory apparatus into the quantum field that we can experience. I was going to say reconnect, but that suggests that we were once disconnected. And I'm suggesting that we're not only consciously, we're not remembering who we are as we journey through this life in this denser physical body. And to the extent that we remember, to the extent that we can connect more consciously with this finer aspect of ourselves, this finer intelligence that we refer to as soul, then our physical life gets informed and more and more informed as we move on and we become enriched by that higher, lighter, intuitive, knowing presence that we are, literally that we are. We embody and we are. So uh, just to share that with you. So at a certain point, like Joyce was so beautifully saying about her cats, uh, so they sloughed off one body and came back in yet another, you know. As they say, there are uh, teams of souls on the other side that are just waiting to populate a human body and an animal body, for that matter. Uh, they're just waiting to come in to be of service to the greater whole in physical form. It's actually an incredibly beautiful um, cycle, if you will, when you look at it from that point of view, and both Jane and Joyce throughout this roundtable were bringing forward perspectives which are so heartening for those who deal with death, either of loved ones, and if they can take on this other perspective, it can be so heartening and liberating. And you can realize that uh, just as people were in a physical form, you can still communicate as you always have. It's just not with a telephone or looking at them in the eye, so to speak. But why would you let things like that get in the way? That's a question to ask. Why let those small things get in the way of some rich possible communication? So I just want to invite you all to that thought that communication can and probably really should continue. And if you look again, like Jane was bringing us into the uh, traditions, well, both were, uh, I think of the ancient Chinese because of uh, some of my own Taoist roots and their emphasis on the bones of their ancestors. In fact, that was the origin of feng shui, that where one would bury the ancestors' bones in respect to the physical home shelter that one would live in, as well as its placement on the land. So they were maximizing the efficiency of sunlight and reduction of wind and presence of water and, of course, good soil. And, but the idea was so that the living people could be in harmony and resonance with the bones which hold the frequency of the ancestors and the soul that was once inhabiting them.
and in fact in some way still are. So interesting, huh? Kidney connection, ancestral chi we talk about in Chinese energetics is all connected to the bone and the burial of the bones in respect to the living is part of the ongoing conversation that takes place between those we refer to as having passed and our living life now. So uh, it's only an etheric phone call away, folks. Anyway, I had such a good time with Joyce Lichtenstein, One Spirit Interfaith Seminary, one of the founders and uh, one of the important directors and faculty members for from inception, and Shane Jinyu, who has the author of several books, and we have them in our newsletter. So if you go to abetterworld.tv, you can uh, go to the newsletter link and take a look at both of these remarkable women and uh, read about them and be in touch with both of them. And One Spirit Seminary is certainly a place to go for uh, classes and workshops. I've been there many times, and with which I am uh, a member and um, vice president, actually, one of them, uh, has been interfacing with the Interfaith Seminary for a long time. We do joint projects together and have for several years. So this has been rich. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Remember to visit us at abetterworld.tv. And if you want to be in touch with me, this is all part of the work I do in counseling and coaching and holistically oriented, transpersonally oriented psychotherapy. You can always reach me at mjr at abetterworld.net. And I also love receiving your comments on our shows and please take the link from our website and send it off to others, forward it to friends and family who you think would benefit from hearing these shows and this one in particular, mjr at abetterworld.net or directly by phone, 212-420-0800, 212-420-0800. Join a better world community, the family, and I look forward to seeing you all 